Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. You know, time passes and here we are saying farewell to another of our siblings here at WFHB. The longtime host and producer of Interchange, our longtime long-running interview program, is hanging up his mic. After tossing around the idea for, oh, I'd say a few years, Doug Storm has decided to record his last edition of Interchange. Doug's clear, authoritative voice seemed to me to be the voice of the program, even though Interchange had a long history before he grabbed the reins nearly a decade ago. My guest this week is, of course, Doug Storm. Doug, thanks for being on Big Talk. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. Now, I know a little bit about what it's like to produce a weekly interview program, but starting in 2013, Doug Storm threw himself seemingly body and soul into this ordeal. And yeah, it's it's sort of an ordeal. Uh, Interchange is twice as long as Big Talk, and every single week, Doug delved deeply into a plethora of huge issues, the likes of which he had to be up on enough to converse confidently with expert guests and authors, academicians, activists, and the rest. With all the reading, all the research, and all the backgrounding you had to do, Doug, I'd imagine putting out an interchange every seven days sometimes seemed like a full-time job. Now, did you imagine back in 2013 that this would be what you were letting yourself in for? (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) would you call it an ordeal as well Uh, um you you know i don't think i would call it an ordeal you know when you get to a certain point you're really working with and for some idea that you have of the program and it can take a lot of time a lot of energy but it's not an ordeal it's just an effort in, in some sense to put something there that one, you, you want to be proud of, and two, that you want to be something that people might return to over and over again, if they felt like it. It's a weird medium to kind of think like that about. Um, it seems frequently like a medium that you, you know, is here and it's gone, but with podcasts, obviously they're not, but it still feels, you know, ephemeral. I literally wanted to make sure if I could, that the program that you that you listened to or you heard in 2013, you might listen to again with the same kind of experience, the same co- kind of information that was not necessarily new to you, but that you would learn from. Now, you mentioned you wanted to produce something that you'd be proud of. Now, in retrospect, <laughs> are you proud? Uh, I you know, pride is, I, I did mention the word pride, um, proud. Um, I, I think so. You know, I think there are times when you, you don't always do what you wanted to do, but generally each show I did the best I could. Now, I think this might be your first show based on, I went back in the archives and looked to see uh, oh, huh? how far back Doug Storm's name went uh, in the credit. Tell me if this is your first show. I've got it for October 1st, 2013. Your guests, uh, Vic Smith, Phil Harris, and Gary Crow, talking about the state of education in Indiana. Was that the first one you hosted? 
I don't think that was. I think uh-huh. that I might have had a conversation with Colin Allen, who was a philosopher uh, here at the time. He's since moved on to the University of Pittsburgh, I believe. Uh, I think I did a show with him on audit, like automation, m- machine learning, robots, that kind of thing, automated cars. And I did one with Sarah Pryor, too, on climate issues that I think came before that big chestnut show, although I can't, I really can't remember, to be honest, but I feel like that was not my first show, obviously one of the firsts. How did you get roped into this? (laughs) That's my own fault. I didn't, I didn't, (laughs) I guess I didn't get roped into it necessarily. I went into FHB uh, wanting to do a program after having listened to many programs podcasts, et cetera. You know, one becomes a fan of certain things. And then as you listen, well, as I listened anyway, and I think other people as well do this, you start to kind of want to talk back to the program and you want to question the program. You want to say, hey, wait a minute, that's, you know, that's an assumption or, hey, you're totally leaving out a certain perspective. And I just got kind of frustrated with the, with the podcast I was listening to. And it wasn't that I thought I could do it better, just that I wanted to ask different questions or I wanted to know different parts of things that it seemed like they were leaving out to me. So I went in and just got lucky in terms of timing. I went in and met, well, I did a volunteer you know, orientation, met with the, the gang there. Allison Bektesh was news director and Joe Crawford was assistant news director. And I just wanted to make a little kind of literary program more than anything else where, where my kind of background had been, where I, what I did in college. I was a, an English teacher for a few years at one point as well. So I just thought, well, it's a university town. Surely you can have conversations with people about literature and things of that nature. It might be interesting. And uh, it just so happened that I think Porch Swing was a program that was on at the time, had gone on hiatus. And literally, I met with Allison and she said, can you produce a show in like a week? (laughs) (laughs) Can we hear something and and I'll present it to the um, uh, News and Public Affairs Board and we'll see if it's it's a fit or not. So I I actually had never done this before, never interviewed people, never, never booked anyone for a show, never recorded anything, never had any experience with recording equipment. I had a friend at the time, uh, Jonathan Richardson. Uh, who is a, a local kind of a DJ, uh, music, musician, uh, worked in, I think at the time in like video and audio production at a local company. He basically was, was editing and engineering for me. Like together, we were trying to figure this thing out. The first thing I did was a conversation on the short story of Benito Serino by Melville, uh, interviewing uh, Jonathan Elmer at IU. It was nice for me. I know the story. I'm a Melville fan. If you've, if you've listened to Interchange ever over the years, I find a way to talk about Melville too often. Uh, so it was just a nice, it was an e- easy thing for me to kind of get my feet wet on. Doug, uh, speaking of Herman Melville, you wrote maybe one or two articles, maybe more for a publication called Schools Matter. And mm-hmm. in the author biography, there's a quote by you saying, I have never been so instructed in reading by a book than I have been by Moby Dick. Right. Well, uh, it's, it's probably a sentiment many people share. The great American novel. You might be challenged on it being a novel, but easily the one book that overwhelmed me 
as a reader. A lot of times you can read even great books and you, you understand them, you comprehend them, or you ignore them on some level. You know, you just, they're not, they're not for you. They don't speak to you. So for me, Melville was weirdly like a voice in your head that isn't your friend and the characters aren't your buddies and you don't identify with anyone. You're not Ishmael. You're not Queequeg. You're not Ahab. Hopefully you're not Ahab. You're not <laughs> Starbuck, et cetera. Right. So you can't be any of those characters. Like a lot of reading, a lot of books we read, especially in genre fiction, you really identify or you're supposed to right? that's the hook is that you yes. identify with the protagonist. You want to be like them. Like people want to be Jason Bourne in the movies, right? If you, and it's a horrible person to want to be Jason Bourne. Right. But you want to have the you want to have the capacities of Jason Bourne without having the, the trauma of Jason Bourne. Right. But right, that's right. the that's the draw to most literature. It pulls you in. It's why you like the catcher in the rye. You're not Holden, but you identify with Holden. For me, Moby Dick was none of those things, but it was a force of language that just kind of from the beginning like a wave, right, rolls over you and you you go with it and you learn you learn new things, you hear new things every single time you go back to it and you recognize that you missed so much every time you no matter how many times you read it, every time you're like I cannot believe I missed that last time or I cannot believe I hadn't heard of that before. My favorite books are those that I want to read again sure. and again and again. And I just uh, read an essay not long ago that said it's good for the mind and good for the soul to reread books or to rewatch movies mm. or television programs that gave you pleasure. Oh, nice. Well, it's good for the soul. I, 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 I like the thought of that. For me, it is always an interesting thing to step back into the river because you get to see a little bit who you were. You get to recognize who you've become. You know, you get to see the gap between those things as well frequently. You know, there have been times that I thought, you know, some other book was a great book. And then I read it again and was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> right. So, I mean, that happens too. Melville never. I, I always, I'm like, it's just unbelievable. Speaking of re listening, for instance, to something mm -hmm. you've heard before, you can listen to Interchange hosted by and produced by Doug Storm, who's our guest this week here on Big Talk. You can listen to it as much as you want on the WFHB website. Go right to the podcast. Now, Doug, before you took over at Interchange, there were a whole gang of hosts. I'm going to mention some of them. There was Daryl Nair, Andy Mahler, Lisa Morrison, Good old William Morris, brother mm -hmm, William, mm -hmm. Helen Harrell, Allison Bektesh, who you've already mentioned, Ryan Dawes mm -hmm. from up uh, now in Minnesota Public Radio. You came aboard, <laughs> and before you, the idea of interchange was mostly local issues and politics. But then, as time went by, the Doug Storm evolution, as it were, you turn to more global and timeless issues like the environment, fascism, philosophy, the state, the kind of U.S. and world history that many people uh, today are trying to de-emphasize in classrooms. In any case, did you make a conscious decision to change 
the aim of the program? Probably not. Not a conscious decision. What I did was probably just evolve the first show I went in to make into a broader show. So, you, you know, when you mention those other producers and you mentioned the show prior to uh, how it became, which I was involved in the show as it was before I was kind of the one left standing in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the show used to be hosted by multiple people, mostly because it's a very difficult thing to do and you need time to prepare for it. You need time to be able to book a show, you know, book a show, get a guest, prepare for that guest, be prepared to have that show air live. It was live almost entirely at the time on Tuesday nights. Not easy to do that kind of thing because guests are not easy to get at the right time. So you got to be able to move those parts around pretty quickly as well. So at the time, I was one of five hosts originally. Allison Bechtest, Joe Crawford, who were both news director and assistant news director, were hosting too. They didn't really want to be a part of that in that in that way they wanted to be able to step back from it it basically evolved from that five person show to three to two to one to one again simply because it's not easy to do and i suppose i need to be frank here right i need to be honest with you and everybody Uh else at fhb right yeah (laughs) Um, um i selfishly wanted to take to have the show uh-huh. Right. Uh, so when you do a show every fifth week, you don't get any better at the show, to be honest. Like you, you have right, a right. very difficult uh, time learning the equipment better, learning the process better, doing better at this conversation. If, if you can, um, all the things that you need to do to be better. So originally, if it's a local program, again, it's hard. It's hard to manage it, hard to book, but you end up you end up getting what you can frequently, right? You get people on as you can um, rather than crafting the show, rather than focusing and trying to shape a show rather than having an, uh, a principle or an idea that you want to, to pursue. So for me, I wanted to get better and I couldn't get better by doing it every month. So I selfishly said, I'll, as people really just stepped away, like, People had been there multiple years already, right? Yeah. They've been doing the show off and on for five, 10 years themselves in that intermittent way. And I think people had gotten tired of doing it too, right? You're just like, oh, I'm, you know, you get tired. I mean, I, here I am today because I'm tired, tired, tired of doing <laughs> it. And so eventually I just said, you know what, I'll, I'll do it. It'll be easier for me not to produce other people, but to produce hmm. myself, right? To produce the show I want to see. So yeah. it really is just selfish on my part. On my part. Let me read to you a list of selected topics sure. that you've covered uh, over the years. And boy, this is fascinating. And, and definitely we're not talking about local issues here. We're right. talking right. about universal things. All right, here we go. Keystone Pipeline, Marx, Darwin, and Kinsey, Creationism and the Anti-Communism in Modern America, Utopia, the Occupy Movement, Radical Democracy of Henry David Thoreau. These are shows that our guest, Doug Storm, over the years has produced and hosted on Interchange, Facing Down the Past. The White South Shakes Its Whip. Great titles, by the way, too. 
Leon Trotsky or the revolution betrayed. The, the list just keeps on going. The public university in crisis. Now that brings me to something. Doug, I think uh, you're a little uncomfortable perhaps <laughs> with some of the things that are going on in academia. Let me go back to, uh, you had a blog. It right. was called the Common Arant, or did I say that correctly? Uh, errant. Okay. Yeah. The Common Arant, like uh, you were a knight errant. Right. Uh, in any case, uh, you had a quote in there that said, too many of us have been awarded luxury and ease and the gift, in quotes, of philosophical and scientific knowledge. You were talking about the calculus of harm, and you were talking about academia, I believe. What's the problem with academia? Well, that, that's, that's a big question. Obviously. It sure is. <laughs> obviously, I might be marginal. Let's not even say marginally. One can be hypocritical of criticizing academia when generally your guests your programs, you know, your authors that you talk to are academics for the most part. I have always said, and, and friends of mine say too, who like the show or who listen to the show and talk to me about the show, you know, there's there's a particular perspective it comes from. It's what we might call an American studies radio, or, uh, which is again not a unique thing. You can you can pretty much listen to a show like this show, like Interchange. It won't be the same format. It won't have the same music. It won't have you know, it won't be the same, but it'll have the same kind of content, which is generally a critical perspective on the world as it is. And generally, the university is a troubling element of everything else that's troubling, <laughs> troubling in the society. It's not like it's unique as a uniquely bad thing in capitalist America. It's one of those institutions that dominate many places and many ideas. That's its role. So it's not like it's a unique critique to say the university is problematic or has difficult aspects to it because it sits in a town. It dominates the town. It's the power in the town frequently in a city. You know, we recently had two shows this last year, one with Steve Volan, uh, who did who did his master's uh, thesis on what he called Gownsburg which is Bloomington, you know, his primary uh, focus on Bloomington, but across the country as well. There are Gownsburgs everywhere and the right. costs to a community to have to pay for the students being in town, basically other things, of course, land use, the structure of even research is often charged back to uh, the town via land and real estate and property. So things that become private are often they often cost the public in their localities. So there's a lot to criticize about the, the university as an institution. And there's obviously a lot to criticize about what the university is made up of. In this town, we've got obviously a focus on business education. Again, these aren't unique things. And I'm not the first person that would criticize business education um, because it focuses solely on this one world, one perspective view, right? And it doesn't strive to do much else. And the university pays it that way too. Like those people get a lot of money <laughs> to, do, to be in those positions. Now you can do any kind of review of, of acad academic salaries and you will, you will quickly know what, what the ideology of the university is, where it puts its money 
is what it's doing. It's what it's for. So this particular topic is, is, you know, 17, 20, 30 shows. Yeah. Right. It's just a fact. And it's not that I'm critical of any one particular person. It's not, I'm not critical of IU. I, I work for a university, you know, my day job, right. The job that I do that pays me money. I work for Johns Hopkins university, a private institution, surely lots, lots, to argue about there as well, to point to that's problematic there. You brought up the idea that we're living in capitalist America. And sure. I'm going to throw another quote at you <laughs> uh, from the, uh, the common errant, uh, which was your blog. Slavery is the economic model the U.S. has always followed, even after its abolition. Property is the foundational principle. Doug, you've never been afraid to state your opinion. You've never been afraid to state your case. But I'm going to ask you, does this mean you're a radical? (laughs) Well, I'd like to be a radical. I'm not sure I'm a radical. I don't think I'm not sure who who's radical. I'm not radical. I'm a guy who's who who talks, who has talked on the radio. My perspective may be radical, but again, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a strange one. And it seems to me it's been growing, obviously, as we continue to be struggling in our current environment with with COVID, with the difficult issues of even, you know, what kinds of jobs we have with the world as it is with climate change, all sorts of things are are giving us uh, difficulties now. And they should. It's 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 sort of coming to the fore that they're that this particular system doesn't help very many people. It helps a very select few people. Uh, and that's across the globe. It's not like capitalism is American. It's a global economic structure. It's not like it's the only thing that matters. It's one of the tools in the box as the, the last four shows uh, that we did on interchange with Rasul Moat, tools in the box of the state. And the state turns out to be about, you know, a thousand people, you know, just people who are hugely wealthy, people who have power. So go listen to those four shows <laughs> rather than listen to me here. And you can get to him on the WFHB website, uh, go to programs and uh, pull down Interchange. The longtime host and producer of Interchange, Doug Storm, is stepping down. He's moving away from it. I saw this description of you somewhere else. And it's really relevant, considering we're in radio, Doug. You said at one point that you came to understand at some point in your life that you're much more of an oral learner, oral, A-U-R-A-L learner, than you had ever been aware before. What do you mean by that? Generally, I remember things better than I hear. So when I say to you, I love reading Moby Dick, generally, that means I love listening to it. Uh, so in your I, head? Yeah, no, I mean, I listen to an, uh, a recording of it. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. So so generally, over the last, say, 10 years, I've probably listened to Moby Dick on walks, dog walks, usually. I don't know how many times through, four or five times through, but individual chapters, over and over and over again. They just are, are great things to listen to. But, but that's what I recognized that I was able to recall in that sort of environment. So you walk, it's kind of like you, uh, if you've heard of a memory palace where you kind of create these, this palace that you, you, you set memories on 
and you can go back into your palace if you you have to memorize a palace which is kind of crazy in the first place right <laughs> you, uh, for you you might memorize your house it has to be things that are kind of always going to stay there and if you look at the piano you might have placed a, a memory of I don't know, something of your childhood on that piano. And if you go to the piano in your memory house or memory castle, you can recall that thing. People did this with books, you know, with, with thousands of pages of books. They remembered them in this kind of form. That is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a form of, of being able to, to see a thing, but also attach the, the uh, memory of the, of, the, of the hearing to it. So if yes. I'm walking in, down the street and I've been walking down the street and I'd listen to Moby Dick, I can then later remember that walk and remember the words as I was walking. So I sort of remember both things, right? And if you continue to go around the same place over and over and over and over again, right, you continue to be able to sort of go back to those places and pick up those things you listened to while you were there. So I have that, that kind of memory and it's, it still sits in there. So when I read something else, there's always an echo or listen, it's really, you know, I think most people sub vocalize when they read anyway. So generally, if I read something, I hear echoes of other things. And often, literally, I've listened to it. So it's an actual echo in my in my brain as I've I, and I attach those things together in my mind at the same time. It's kind of how interchange became interchange i would just keep rolling into new things that reminded me of those other things doug it's a damn shame this program big talk only lasts 28 minutes because we could go on and on for a long time yeah. uh, coming near the end of uh, our allotted time doug storm uh, outgoing host and producer of interchange do you have any idea who's taken over no i don't actually i mean i have talked to Jar, the uh, general manager and Cade, who's a news director, uh, and discussed the, the sort of prospect of what would happen next. Uh, to my knowledge, there's uh, what I think I would call, or I think they would call themselves a collective of producers and interviewers that are trying to get uh, some content together to go on the air. I don't think, I can't say it'll be similar or dissimilar. I think you already know the producers of Kite Line and Partisan Gardens, so they're, they're the group that's kind of working on trying to create a group that might step in and create a programming um, that's similar to what it's been, I think. Again, I don't know because I literally said, I got to be done. <laughs> uh, I might, if I feel like it, I might interview somebody on my own interest, right? It won't necessarily be intended as an interchange, but if I feel like it, I might talk to somebody and record something. And if it's okay, maybe you'd put it on the air. Yeah. And they were like, whatever. We will be darned lucky <laughs> if someone as well thought and dedicated as you comes along uh, in this process uh, of continuing interchange. My guest this week, Doug Storm, the longtime host and producer of Interchange, and sadly, not anymore. Uh, he's <laughs> stepping down. New people are coming aboard. Doug Storm, I wish you good luck. And I really thank you very much for joining us on Big Talk. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. It was great to be here. Mm -hmm.